Good morning again. Welcome to St. John. My name is Dion. I want to welcome those of you joining us online again. You know, I love this series, The Human Race, as we talk about the things that really make us fully human. And, you know, in the series, we've talked about things like failure, and we've talked about uniqueness. We've talked about connectedness. And, uh, and this week, what? Oh, yeah. I got a little hot, you know, that I had to take the jacket off. But, um, yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? You see that? Um, by the way, has this ever happened to you before? You know, like you, you get to work someday and you, you get to work and you think you're looking good and, and, uh, and all of a sudden you look down and you realize like, uh-oh, something happened there. Maybe you're driving to work and, and uh, it's traffic and you slam on your brakes or, uh, and you spill the coffee down your shirt and you're at work and you have nothing else to change into cause you've, but you've got a big giant stain on your shirt now. Has anyone ever been there before? You know how that feels? Yeah. Yeah. And then all day long, how, how do you handle it? My guess is that you're like me. All day long, you're sort of like, hey, how's it going? Good, good to see you. Yeah. You have a good weekend? Uh-huh. Right? It's, it's so awkward. We're, I mean, like, this is not, you know, subtle at all. And yet, and yet what do we try to do? We, we, try, to, we try to divert attention from it. Or, or how about this? Um, have, you ever, have you ever had, like, a, a pimple or a zit right on the end of your nose? Like, it's the worst. You know, I'm 39 years old, and I, and I still break out. And, and a couple of weeks ago, though, um, you know, I, I kind of bumped my nose like that, and I all of a sudden felt like, oh, no. It's tender. I know what that means. And so you go look in the mirror, and I'm like, oh, I think I can get a zit. And I'm starting doing the, the math, and I'm like, come Sunday, I'm going to look like Rudolph up here, right? And I'm going to be standing here, and it's going to be on camera, and that's all you're going to see, and it's going to be recorded in the, in the halls of YouTube forever. And this is just, this is just awful. And, uh, and, you know, if you've ever been in that situation, you know how it is. You're, you're trying to, like, keep people's attention off of it, but in the meantime, you're actually drawing attention to it because you're kind of like, hey, Bob, how's it going? I'm, I'm good, right? And today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about not stains on our shirt or blemishes on our face. Today, we're going to talk about our flaws, because the truth is we all have flaws, and we know it, and, and yet the reality is that we spend a lot of time and energy trying to, trying to do this with our flaws, right? Trying to, trying to hide our flaws, trying to conceal our flaws from people around us. We spend a lot of time trying to, trying to divert attention away from our flaws. I think I messed up my microphone. There we go. Uh, divert attention away from our flaws um, because we, we kind of think we can. We kind of think we can get away from it or get away with it or, or we divert attention. You know, like have you ever been in a job interview where uh, they ask that question, what are your three strengths? And you give them your three strengths. And then right after that, they follow it up with another question. What are your three? Okay, like three of you have ever been on a job interview. Right? <laughs> I don't know how you pay your mortgage. But um, for those of us who've been in a job interview, they'll, you know, what, what are, your, what are, your, what are your, your three weaknesses? And, and we're so good at this. We're ready for this question if we're interviewing for a job, right? We go in and, you know, oh, glad you asked that. And this is kind of hard to speak about. But, you know, I, if I had to say my three weaknesses, they are that I care too much and I work too hard and I just can't stand doing anything less than my best. All right, and what we really mean is I am a control freak, workaholic, and I'm going to drive you crazy with my perfectionism, you know, or I'm late all the time and I'm not going to tell you that, but, but we make it sound good, don't we? Because if we can't hide our flaws, if we can't conceal them from people, and, and we do a good job of that, then, then we try to explain them away or we try to twist them or we try to divert attention away from them. But, but here's the reality. While we're busy doing this and hiding, the reality is we all have flaws. And I know you know that, kind of. 
And yet if we really knew that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't live life this way, that every one of us have shortcomings, we have struggles, we have weakness in our life. We have at least one Achilles heel, if not two. And for some of us, it may be an attitude flaw, it may be a character flaw, you know, you may get too mad too often, you may be impatient, you may have a hard time not being right. Uh, it, it may be some other kind of flaw or weakness in your life. It, you know, as we talked at the beginning, it may be some sort of physical flaw that you feel self-conscious about, that, that you feel makes you abnormal or less worthy. But the reality is we all have flaws. And while we're busy trying to you know, live like this, hiding this stuff, most people actually know what your flaws are before you have to say a thing. You know, you're doing this hiding thing, and they're like, man, do you see that zit on Dion's nose? That thing is huge. And, you know, they know it. And yet we, we think we're doing something by covering ourselves or hiding ourselves or trying to conceal those flaws or trying to distract from them. But, but you know the only thing that we're doing is we're dehumanizing ourselves. We're undermining a valuable part of our humanity. And if that sounds kind of weird to you... Um, I'm going to talk more about this today, and to do that, I'm going to look at the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul is the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament, and Paul, um, he, he was used to being an impressive guy. He was just kind of one of those guys, he was a leader, he was smart, he was courageous, and so as he traveled around the Mediterranean world telling people about Jesus, people were most often, even if they didn't like what he had to say, they were impressed with him. You couldn't help but be impressed with him until he visited Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth, that was a, uh, you know, kind of a big shipping city. It was a commercial city. Uh, it was a very worldly city, a wealthy city. They had access to a lot of things. They were very proud people, very educated, uh, as I said, wealthy people. And Paul visited Corinth, and he had a good visit. And then he moved on to go to the next place, because Paul's kind of on this whistle-stop tour all around the Mediterranean world. And uh, after he leaves Corinth, something happens. Some other guys move in. Some guys who actually seemed to be more impressive and more put together than even Paul. And, and uh, th these guys were false teachers. And as Paul leaves, they start right away trying to undermine Paul. They, they try to make him seem less impressive. And so they start poking holes in his credibility. They say, hey, you know how Paul collected an offering from you when he was here, Corinthian people? You, you know, he took that money and he said he was going to go take it back to Jerusalem to help people who were hurting. Well, how do we really know? How do we really know what Paul's doing with that money? So you thought you were the only person who wondered what the church does with the money, right? No, they were doing that back in Paul's day. They're like, how do you really know what he's using that money for? Is he really using it for what he said? And the people in the church were like, oh yeah, good point. And then, and then they would say, you know, Paul, he calls himself an apostle. But we've studied and, you know, the rest of these apostles, they all spent three years with Jesus. Paul wasn't with Jesus for three years. So what is this guy doing thinking he's calling himself an apostle? It sounds like a fraud to me. And they're like... Hey, that's a really great point. And they poked holes in Paul's sincerity, saying, you know, Paul says he loves you and he cares about you, but it's been a long time since he visited, and, and he keeps delaying it and saying he gets caught up in another place. And, and if he loved you, he'd be here, wouldn't he? He'd be visiting you. Where's he at? Now, I don't know about you, but, but um, you know, if I heard about people talking about me this way, when people try to undermine my credibility or sincerity in life, I don't, I don't always react in the best way possible. I tend to go, this is one of my flaws, I tend to go on the offensive, I go on the attack. People on staff who work with me, they know this about me, unfortunately. Um, you know, I tend to flex a little bit, that's just what I do, exactly what you'd expect out of a pastor, right? Um, that, that's what I do. Now Paul, as is, is he hears about how he's coming under attack amongst the Corinthians by these false teachers and how they're believing it, Paul, he does something different. He doesn't go on the offensive exactly. What Paul does is something much more pastoral. 
He goes into his office, he grabs some parchment, and he sits down, and he writes them a strongly worded letter. Just what you expect out of a pastor. And, and, you know, this letter actually becomes the book of the Bible, the section of the Bible that we call 2 Corinthians. It's the second letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the strongly worded letter. Now, as Paul begins to address some of these issues going on and some of the gossip about him and some of the people talking about his, his flaws and, you know, his weaknesses and... He, he, by chapter 11, you know, at first he's playing it cool, but chapter 11, Paul's getting a little hot. He's going on the offensive and he starts flexing a little and he starts in this whole section where he starts bragging. You wouldn't expect this out of Paul, but he's human, I guess. And so he starts bragging and boasting about all the things that he's done, all of his accomplishments. He starts talking about his credibility and all that he suffered for their sake you know, if, if you think, if you think I'm, I'm, I'm getting rich off of you, let me talk about all the things that I've suffered for you, Paul says. And he goes through this whole list, and we're going to dive in kind of right at the end of this list as he's finishing up his section on boasting. Uh, and then he's going to teach us something really important that I think we all need to hear today. So uh, we're kind of diving in in the middle of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1. If you want to crack your Bible here in the room, you can go to page 1165. Otherwise, it's right here for you. Paul says, I must go on boasting, my kind of guy, right? Um, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained by boasting, I will go on to talk about visions and revelations from the Lord. So Paul had already talked about, you know, his credibility, his sincerity, his education, his credentials. Now he's going to talk about visions and revelations that are divinely given. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, into the highest heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. Only God knows. I know that this man was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that are so wonderful that no one is permitted to tell about them. So I will boast in a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. Now, now what's Paul doing here? You know, He's, he's talking about all the things that he's done. Then he starts talking about this other guy who got brought up into heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, he doesn't know, but he was brought up into heaven and he, and he got a revelation from God himself, got to see God himself. Paul's talking about this guy and he's like, I'll, I'll boast in that guy, but I won't boast in myself. But the reality is Paul's actually boasting in himself. Paul's the guy. Now I know this is confusing for a lot of us, especially those of us who are really sincere, just like kind of straightforward people. Because you, you look at these words and you say, but he said, no, 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 Paul said, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. And the problem here is that Paul is using one of my favorite literary devices. He's using sarcasm. Now, for those of you who got this on the first read, you, like me, are probably not a very good person, and that's why you got it. Um, but I find this as a defense that sarcasm is biblical, because that's what Paul's doing here. You know, he's saying, hey, you think those false teachers amongst you are so impressive, and you want to you call out my authority? Man, if only someone you knew had been brought up into heaven and received a revelation from God himself. <clears throat> if only you knew someone like that. And he's totally talking about himself here. For an important reason, as we're going to see in a minute, he says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Now, up to this point, Paul hasn't said a thing about weakness. But all of that's about to change, which is kind of weird because, you know, we don't boast about our weaknesses. We, we, we try to hide our weaknesses or we try to boast about things that keep your attention off of my weaknesses. Yeah, I know I'm a slob, but I've got some other great qualities, right? That's how we handle weakness. But Paul is beginning to talk about a different way to live that I think is so important for all of us here today. So he says, I'll boast about my weakness. He said, even if I should choose to boast 
about my strengths. I would not be a fool because I'd only be speaking the truth, but I'm going to refrain from doing that so no one will think of me more highly, uh, no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations that I've received. And then he goes on and he says, therefore, now, now here's his point, therefore, you know, all this boasting aside, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, this is kind of mysterious here, and scholars have written a lot about this, about, okay, what exactly is Paul talking about here? He's, you know, he's talking about all this strengths, and he's saying, I could get really conceited here, but, but God did something. He, he gave me this, he allowed me to have this thorn in my flesh. And whether that means it was a, a sickness or an ailment, you know, a literal thorn in his physical body, or whether that's flesh in a more spiritual way, like maybe this is a temptation or a sin struggle, or, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's even a, a mental illness. Maybe, you know, we're not really sure what it is, and people have guessed, but we don't know. We never find out. But here's what we find out is that, that we do know is that this guy, Paul, you know, he's, he's serving God the best he can. He's doing a great job with it. But along the way, he gets tripped up by something in his life. And he, as he encounters this thing, does what a lot of us do. Um, he'll, he'll say what he does next. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I mean, how many of you have been here before in life? You've got that thing in your life that keeps tripping you up over and over and over again. Like I said, maybe it's a sin struggle. Or uh, maybe it's just, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's your temper. Or it's your jealousy. Or maybe it's some other thing that, that, that's a weakness within you, a flaw within you, and, and it just keeps tripping you up. And, and you know you could be so much more and you could do so much more for God and for other people if that thing would just go away. And so what do you do? You fall down on your knees and you beg God, you beg God, God, please take this away from me. Right? I mean, how many of us have been there? Gosh, I know I have. Like, God, if you would just remove this from my life, if, if you would just take this away then things would be so much easier and I could be so much more devoted and I could be so much more useful and, and I, you know, I'd, I'd stop making a mess of things and I'd stop hurting people in my life. God, if you would just take this away. See, see, Paul, whatever it was, he's experiencing that and he's experiencing that anguish and he's just saying, God, can you just take this thing out of my life, please? And I want you to see how God responds to this very heartfelt, sincere prayer. Paul pours out his heart to God and says, God, please take this away. But God said back to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, I'm not going to take it away because my grace is enough. He goes on, he says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I don't know if you've memorized many scriptures, um, but even if you have, or even if you haven't, uh, right now I'd encourage you to write down 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Because I think this is a powerful scripture to meditate on at least for the next week, but much longer, uh, just as a reminder for you. Because there will be times in your life, if you haven't experienced them recently, where you are on your knees, you're crying out to God, you're begging him to, to heal, to fix, to remove some weakness, some flaw in your life. God, if you just take this away. And his answer to you will feel like silence. You'll feel like he's not saying anything, but it may be that what he's actually saying to you is this very thing. Hey, I'm not going to take that away from you because my grace is enough and my power is made perfect in weakness. 
See, this is not the answer that Paul was hoping for, and yet it's the answer that he got, and because of that, he learned something. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm not going to talk to you all day about my strengths, but instead, Paul says, I'll boast about where I'm weak. And, And then he goes on, he says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And I want you to read this last line with me. Read this with me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul did this whole bragging thing because the Corinthian believers, like I told you, they're kind of wealthy, they're successful, they're people who walk with a bit of swagger. As Midwesterners, you know, if you're native Midwest, you're not going to get this at all. If you're from the East Coast, you totally get it. This is totally East Coast, Right? Um, you know, like, Corinthians, they, they were kind of like that. And the only way Paul's going to get their attention, the only way he's going to win them over for an audience, is he's got to strut a little. He's got to swagger. He's got to walk with a swagger. He's got he's to brag a little. But, but after he gets their attention, after they're kind of like, yeah, Paul, you're pretty impressive. Do you notice what he does? He, he turns everything around on them. And he says, you know, this boasting stuff, it's actually pretty empty. But if you're going to boast, I'll tell you what you should boast in. You should boast in your weakness. See, instead of living life like this, just boast in those flaws. Now, I know for a lot of us as as, as Christians, if you're a Christian, this doesn't feel right to you. Because to to sound like you're going to boast in your flaws, that that almost sounds like, am I glorying in my sin and in my struggle? Is, Is that what that means? That I'm just, you know, saying, hey, here I am, deal with me the way I am. Or does that mean that I'm closing myself off to the possibility of growth? You know, by, by, by boasting in my weakness, am I just saying like, well, hey, I'm just broken and there's nothing you can do about it and I'm just always going to be this way and you're just throwing in the towel on any hope of growth or healing? Is that what this means? No, it's not what this means. See, see Paul is talking about boasting in his, his weakness in a different kind of way. It's not, it's not arrogant or proud or, of our sin or struggle, but it's just in a matter-of-fact kind of way. See, because here's what happens as we live life this way, as we live life all covered up, so you can't see my flaws, I can't see your flaws, and, and we all look good, and we come to church on Sunday morning, and we smile, right? Because I'm okay, and you're okay, and I'm better than okay. So when we live life this way, do you know what happens? Do you know what kind of world we create? A world where everything is a big act, where we're all living giant lies, and we're all isolated and separate and struggling alone. See, when we live differently, when, when we you know, just kind of uncover here and we allow our flaws to be seen, when we boast in our weakness, God begins to do things. And today I want to I close this off by quickly talking about five things that can happen when you boast in your weakness, five things that can happen in your life and one thing that never will happen. Five things that can happen and one thing that never will happen. I want to talk about those today. So first, when we boast in our weakness, we foster connections. See, again, when you're, when you're living life like this, it's impossible to connect with you, really, because you're not presenting your true self, your, your messy but authentic self. But here's what happens. When, when you start to live like this, you just go, hey, I, I got a thing going on here. Inevitably, do you know what happens every time? And I've seen this every time, not just in my life, but I get to see a lot of other people live out their lives in in a way that few of you do. Every time you start to live life this way, inevitably there's someone who comes along who's, you know, standing over here and and they're doing what you used to do and they're they're covering and hiding and concealing and then they look at you and they go, you're kidding me, you too? Gosh, I mean, 
and instantly you have a connection. See, the alternative to living this way is to live covered up, and, and again, that means none of us are connecting with each other. Because although you may feel pressure to look and appear perfect all the time, the truth is no one wants to be friends with a perfect person. That's depressing, right? I mean, to be married to a perfect person, like, oh, gosh, just be done. I mean, like, no one wants that in life. And yet we, we feel like we have to do this. We have to spare people from seeing the ugliness of our lives because somehow they won't love us. But, but the truth is, when, when you're open about your weakness, people can handle it better than you think. Not only that, but, but people are disarmed and they feel like they can actually connect with you. There's a basis for a connection. The problem is, is that for most of us, we would rather people admire us and envy us than actually connect with us. And so we'll just keep presenting our fake selves to the world because we'd rather be admired and envied than to really know the power of connection. That's first. I told you I'll go through these quick. Second, when we boast about our weakness, we stay humble. Uh, I, I know how we play the game here. We, you know, we cover ourselves. We, we present our best self forward. And, you know, that's, that's, that's good. That's respectful to do. And you want to put your best self forward. But what happens after a while is that we start to believe the deception. And we start to believe that we're better than we really are. But when you live like this, you know, when your stuff's out there, when you boast about your weakness or your flaws, you just kind of have to stay humble, which is a very good thing. Now, now I know for some of you, you think that humility means feeling bad about yourself all the time. And uh, that's not what humility actually means. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And if you want to live in a prison like a lot of us do, it's just to think about yourself all the time. See, what humility does is it frees you from not having to worry about how you're being perceived all the time. You get to think about yourself less. You get to think about God more. You get to think about others more. You get to think about purpose more. See, see, when you live a humble life, God begins to give you something else, something that we all need, something that our world needs more than ever. When you live this way, God starts to cultivate in you a spirit of compassion, a spirit of empathy. When you're humbled, by your own flaws, it's so much easier when someone else is struggling to not meet them with judgment or haughtiness, but with the spirit of compassion to go, I understand, I get what that must feel like, or even if I've never been through that, that must be really hard. And let me tell you, compassion is so healing. It is what our world is lacking in, and and if we could get it as a people of God, if we could get more compassion, you would see dramatic change across our landscape. So we stay humble. Third, when we boast about our weakness, we find help. And when you're living life like this, no one knows what you need, but when you uncover it, inevitably someone will come around and they go, you know what, I just was, I had the same thing, oh my gosh, I'm such a, you know, but let me tell you what works, right? If you tried a Tide pen, if you tried soda water, whatever it is, right? You have people suddenly who bring you their wisdom, they bring you their life experience. They help you understand what they have learned from their struggles, and suddenly you're not trying to learn through your struggles and weaknesses alone, but, but you've got the wisdom of other people pouring into you. You find solutions, you find help, you find support, which is something we all need. Fourth, when you boast about your weaknesses, we discover unconditional love. Now, I think for most of us, we believe, again, that if we let ourselves be seen as we are, that we will be so repulsive to the people in our lives that no one will love us. If, if, they really, if they really knew, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about just some of the things, but if they really knew everything. And maybe you've even experienced in your life as you've tried to do this and people have moved away and you know how painful that is. But, but let me just tell you, 
that we often bring this same kind of fear and mindset into our relationship with God, don't we? And we start to believe that, man, if, if God really saw me, if I was really honest with him, if I really presented my full self to him, there's no way he'd have anything to do with me. He, he couldn't love me. He couldn't not possibly use me. And you realize that's a lie. See, if, if you believe that something that you've done or something that you do or a weakness that you have or a flaw that, that is a you know, part of your life, if you believe that that can somehow diminish God's love, do you know what you've done? You've made God's love conditional. By definition. That's what it means. It means in order to, to receive something, you have to meet certain conditions. And we do this with God all the time. We imagine that, that by acting better or cleaning up our act or trying harder, he's going to love us more. And we, and we, when we fear that if, if we can't get over our struggles or if we're flawed or broken, that somehow he's going to love us less. See, when you boast in your weakness, you have to confront the fact that, that you're not perfect and yet it doesn't matter because there's a God in heaven who loves you anyway. When you boast in your weakness, do you know what you're doing? You're, you're not only acknowledging to yourself, but you're professing to the world that, hey, even if I never get over this, even this, if this never gets better, even if I can never clean up my act in this specific way, God looks at me and he doesn't see that in me. But when God looks at me, he sees his son and his daughter and he says, you're my son, you're my daughter. I delight in you. I don't see that. I see you. See, that's what unconditional love is. And we talk about it in the church all the time. And then again, we come into church and we cover ourselves up and, and we try to act like we're better than we are. Why? Because we don't believe that it's true. Because this is so mind-boggling that God could love us in spite of us. It doesn't matter who we are. He just loves us for his own sake. But when you begin to boast in your weakness, you have no choice but to confront God's unconditional love and that will transform your life. In fact, that's, that's kind of the fifth thing that when you boast in your weakness, uh, you will discover true power. Paul said it. Uh, this was kind of his uh, message from God that uh, as he's begging God, take this weakness away, take this weakness away, God said, no, my grace is enough. My, my unconditional love, just, just live in it, Paul. And then he said, but my power is made perfect in your weakness. Do you know that it's not only not true that God is repulsed, I know it's kind of a double negative, repulsed by our brokenness, our flaws. Do you know that God is actually attracted to vessels that are cracked and broken, that are flawed? God loves to pursue people and vessels that are, that are broken, that are hostile to him. And, and God loves no, more than anything else, he loves to take those things and redeem them for his purposes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, before all of this, in the same letter, Paul wrote this uh, phrase. He said, we have these treasures, the treasures of God, the, the riches of God in jars of clay. And, and he kind of referred to us as people as jars of clay. Now, maybe that metaphor doesn't make sense to you. He's kind of talking about these everyday vessels, these cracked everyday vessels that would, you would use just, you know, it's like, it's like your, your throwaway cup from QT that you got a slushy in, like... You know, it's, it's like the coffee can your grandpa used to keep his money in or the old flower jar your grandma used to keep her money in. And on the outside, you never expect that there'd be anything of value in there. And Paul says, that's kind of how it is with us. We, we don't look very impressive. We're just kind of ordinary and broken and cracked and, and, and yeah. And yet God has, God has done something. He's, he's put his treasure there. See, when you boast in your weakness, 
when you learn to do what Paul told you to do, you're, you're, you may lower your esteem in the eyes of people because people are judgy and they're gossips and that's just what people are. But, but you know what you do? You actually, you actually give greater visibility to God's power in your life. See, if, if something great comes through you and everyone thinks you're a great person, then they can too easily attribute that greatness to you, right? But when you live life in the open and you go, hey, guys, I'm, I'm not so great. And then when God does something great through you, instead of saying, wow, Dion, you're such a great guy. What a great person you are. Everyone's going to go, wow, what a great God that he can use a screw up like you. And I know, I know that even, even that sounds harsh to you or that's what we fear, but there's no fear in that. Because there's something great about living your life, not making your name great, but making God's name great. And, and when you get to see God powerfully work through you, even though you're broken, even though you're flawed, that's not only life-changing for you, but that's life-changing for everyone around who is watching you. See, see, I told you, when we boast in our weaknesses, there are five things that can happen in our life that we all need. But here's the other thing that will never happen, the thing that we fear. When you boast about your weaknesses, God doesn't move away. And I know I've talked about this already, but I just have to state it again because I believe this is what we're so afraid of. Because people in life have done this to us. We just kind of assume that if I lived open, if I let my messy but authentic self be seen, that God would distance himself from me. In fact, I've heard preachers talk about that. You know, God's a holy God and he can't be around sin. I, I know what they mean and I think they mean well, but I don't know what Bible they're reading because when I read the Bible, do you know what I see? I see the story of a God who constantly is pressing in on flawed and broken people. I see a God who after contending with Israelites for, I don't know, thousands of years and, and mistake after mistake, flaw after flaw, brokenness after brokenness, sin after sin, God in the fullness of time sends his son into the world. How can you say that God ever moves away from broken people when he sent his son into the world and, and then you watch that son live his life and, and you watch him experience all the ugliness of humanity? I mean, Jesus experienced the ugliness of humanity full on. He experienced the hypocrisy of leaders and, 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 the, and, the, and the destruction of, of religious power and, and just how religion can become so ugly and, and dark. And, and you got to see Jesus experience the betrayal at the hands of close friends. Jesus experienced everything ugly and flawed and broken about humanity. And did he back away? No, he charged ahead and he went to a cross and he gave his life so that we could be reconciled to God. See, in our minds, we believe... If I live open, maybe God will love me less. Maybe he'll move away. That couldn't be further from the truth. And so today, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you not to become more flawed. Because <laughs> you don't need help with that, do you? Um, I, I don't either. But I want to challenge you to become more open in your flaws. To become someone like Paul who boasts in your weakness. Not because you're proud about those things or not because you think those things are great or not because you're rejecting God's ideals, but because you know that God's power is made perfect when we acknowledge our weakness. Now, I know this is kind of lofty, but, but I bet that there's someone in your life who already does this really well. I am not one of them. I'm trying to be. I really am. I'm trying hard to be, but I'm not one of these people who does this. I, I cover and hide and conceal and divert with the best of them. 
But in my life, it's my wife, Jocelyn. She's awesome at this. She's a person who's just like, hey, you know, this is me. And I watch her do that, and I watch how people move toward her, not away from her. And I watch how in her life she gives God glory for so much that, 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 that I think gets lost in my life. I watch that, and I go, I want to be more like that. Chances are you know someone like this in your life already who's got this figured out, who boasts in their weakness, and you see the power of it. And so my challenge to you is not, is not that you would try to become more broken or more flawed. It's just that you'd become more open. That you'd let your messy self be seen and that you'd wait and watch as God not necessarily, you know, doesn't necessarily take your flaws away or remove those thorns in your flesh. But as he says over you, hey, my grace is sufficient. You're worked up about that, but I'm, <laughs> I've got that covered. And as you watch as God perfects his power right in the middle of that weakness, he can and he will if you let go. And I want to pray for that today. Father, I thank you that you never move away, that you never distance yourself. Father, I thank you that your power is so great that it doesn't depend on me having my act together. And Father, that's what I want the world to see. I don't want them to see that I'm a, I'm a great man who's so courageous and faithful or anything else, Father. I, I want the world to see that you are a great God and that you can claim and redeem someone like me and you can use me for something good in spite of my many flaws and weaknesses. Father, that's what I want for our church. I don't want people to drive by this church or come to this church and to say, man, what, what a well put together professional group of people. Father, I want people to see you in this church, to see how good you are, to see how unconditional your love is, to see how powerful you are even especially in our weakness. So Father, give us the courage to boast in our weaknesses, to let our messy lives be seen. Father, give us the courage to be open. Uh, Just break our tendencies to want to cover and hide and conceal. And Father, by your strength and power, help us. Help us to uh, trust your unconditional love. Help us to wait on you as you perfect your power right in the middle of the things that we feel most vulnerable about. Give us the courage to do that, Father. Give us the faith to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.